0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesher here. Great to have you back. A special episode this week. It's another serverless special. This time, Brian Liston will be talking to a couple of guests about security in serverless architectures. And uh, it's a great conversation, really interesting and in-depth. So I hope you get a lot out of it, and I'll catch you on the tail end. Welcome back to another episode of the Serverless Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mark Nunikoven and Adam Johnson, and today we're going to talk about security and serverless architectures. Uh, How's it going today, Mark? It's great, thanks. How are you? Uh, Pretty good. Adam, how's your day going? Pretty good. Sunny California,
1: and uh, just had my coffee, so ready to go.
0: Great. Uh, Mark, why don't you give us a quick background and tell everybody who you are and uh, what you do?
2: Sure. Yeah. My name is Mark Nanakovin. I'm the uh, vice president for cloud research at the uh, security company Trend Micro. Um, so my role is really to kind of explore the cloud space um, with a focus on security and privacy um, and especially sort of one to three years out. So, of course, for the last uh, you know 18 months or so, that's been a strong focus on uh, serverless, which is why we're here
0: today. Awesome. Adam, how about you?
1: Uh, We are building IOPipe, which is a serverless monitoring uh, and analytics platform. So we started by uh, building out some tools for helping people get started with serverless and found that uh, there's a big lack of visibility and instrumentation. So we decided to build it ourselves and we offer that as a service for uh, people building serverless apps and we also use serverless uh, to power a a large portion of our uh, infrastructure as well.
0: Awesome. So the first thing I wanted to get into just, you know, kind of informal is, you know, what are you, what are you guys using serverless for today? Maybe not necessarily from a business perspective, but personal stuff. Are you guys using it for anything personal right now? And then we'll jump into business use cases
2: yeah uh, I'll jump in and uh, so yeah, we're using it on the business side uh, for a bunch of stuff, but on the personal side, um I've been slowly pulling off a lot of uh, stuff that used to run as batch uh, you know, or as cron jobs on uh, hosted servers and pushing it into serverless. so things like um, doing some Twitter analytics um pulling in some different sources to kind of give me an aggregate view of what's going on. Uh, so kind of news filtering stuff um, and just lots of fun ideas like that. you might not have, wanted to do previously simply because you're like, well, I'm not going to stand up a server to do all this. And um, now with the event-driven model and serverless, it's, it's really kind of a no-brainer, especially when you get that bill at the end of the month and you're like, oh, it you know, cost <laughs> me four, so four, four cents to do all my analytics this month. <laughs> like, wow, you know?
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. And we're, we're using it mostly for business, um, for personal, I think, uh, been playing around with it a little bit with like the Amazon IOT button and, and things like this, uh, oh, yeah. just, just for fun little projects, uh, here and there. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. How, how do you like in the IOT button? It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, I need more buttons though. <laughs> That's
0: and always, like, more lights. <laughs> oh yes. I, my whole house is set up that way as well. So, um, <laughs> cool. Uh, Mark, what do you guys? Uh, you said you're using it on a business side as well. Can you can you talk about that at all? Yeah,
2: for sure. So um, one of the things we run. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. From Trend Micro, one of the things we run is uh, our security platform, Deep Security. Uh, we run it as a service as well, and that service is hosted entirely in AWS and has been for years. Um, and one of the things we started putting serverless uh, in for um, in that deployment um, is to do some uh, data transforms. Um, so when we're doing some analytics uh, for usage and for protection monitoring, and um, we'll do the transforms through uh, Lambda and push them into uh, Dynamo and things like that in the back end. Um, and we're also starting to explore some other areas where. Um, and it's things that uh, like I've been speaking about at reInvent um, and a couple of the AWS summits around um, automating uh, security response. Um, so having that as, a, you know, that's the ideal event driven use case sort of there's a there's an issue raised by a security tool and then uh, trigger off a serverless workflow to make some sort of response. And whether that's just sort of raise the flag to keep your eye on it a little bit more or isolate an instance or shut down a workload or do some sort of uh, reaction. Yeah. Um, that's what we're starting to, to get involved with. And, and that's some really exciting stuff.
0: That sounds cool. Awesome. Adam, I know uh, you guys are using serverless pretty heavily.
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, in order to monitor serverless, uh, we have to ingest a large number of events uh, and analyze those. And in order to kind of move as fast as we can, being a startup and keep our costs down, we ended up using a ton of serverless for, for the back end. So we, we have a, a pipeline. We're using Kinesis for that. And uh, we use Lambda to do batch processing off of that, and ETL transforms into uh, our databases. Uh, and we use services for pretty much everything we can, where we don't want to uh, reinvent the wheel. So you know, we're using lots of third-party services uh, to handle things like Auth, like Auth Zero. We're using Launch Darkly for feature flags, and you know, there's all kinds of services out there that um, help us get a lot more um, featureful. Uh, service ourselves without having to invent all of those things, which I think is kind of the great thing about the future of serverless is there's going to be a best of breed service for pretty much everything you can imagine out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is actually a great segue. So, uh, you know, the reason that I wanted to get you guys on the podcast today is specifically to talk about security and monitoring Um, and, you know, types of things that people should look at or pay attention to when they're building out their serverless architectures or infrastructures, from the ground up um and you guys are both pretty obviously pretty passionate about security and monitoring um maybe some might say you're not i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i know mark you just got back from a security conference is that right yeah yeah
2: i was at uh, rsa in san francisco last week um, where actually i gave a talk on serverless uh, security perfect yeah i was just gonna say it was it was surprising how um well received it was um you know and I mean, that sounds bad, I'm sure, Um, but just in the, uh, you know, RSA is sort of a general uh, security conference. Whereas, you know, when I'm at an AWS event, um, you know, I know I'm talking to people who are living and breathing in the cloud and pushing, you know, into containers and out into serverless. RSA is a little more traditional enterprise security approach. Like there was literally people who were selling like physical disk destruction utilities and stuff like this, you know. Nice. Um, But yeah, I was quite surprised at the amount of people who were uh, very receptive to it, who were um, telling me about. Um, you know, their organizations were starting to experiment um, and roll out serverless designs in production. So the problem is real. um, And that's, that's really
0: exciting that people are jumping on board. That's, that's super cool to hear that, especially when it's, um, you know, like you said, more of a generalized security conference.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: So, I kind of wanted to just kind of keep this, you know, informal and and just have a generalized discussion about you know your guys's approach or your guys's opinion on serverless security and where it is today. And I don't necessarily mean that in a uh, specifically like doesn't have to be lambda specific, right? Just serverless as a whole.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll take that. I mean, I love talking about it. And uh, you know, for the record, yes, I am very passionate about this subject. <laughs> Perfect. I think the the really interesting thing about serverless is it's, you know, from a business perspective, it makes perfect sense, right? You're delegating as much work as possible out to the cloud provider. um, And that means what you are working on, it should be directly related to providing some sort of business value or solving the problem at hand, right? So you're not spending cycles, just, you know, making sure that IT can support itself. Um, But from a security perspective, it's really interesting because it sort of breaks everything that we're used to. Um, So when we, you know, everybody understands the shared responsibility model, Uh, Most of the stuff that's in serverless ends up being, you know, as a um, basically in a SaaS category, an abstract category, where you're essentially just responsible for the data and configuring that service. So in Lambda, you'd be uh, responsible for the function, but also making sure that, you know, that Lambda um, is locked down with the correct role, um, as well as, you know, Lambda service itself has the correct permissions around it so that only people you want accessing it can access it. But when you start to look at this overall design of pulling in these different services to create a, a whole solution, like a holistic solution, um, you realize that you, know, you can't drop an intrusion prevention system into this design because you don't own any of the layers where that system would be deployed you c- tricky to deploy anti-malware because, again, you don't own any any of those layers. And that is, you know, a large part um, of those uh, security controls are actually provided by the service provider at some extent, not directly to your solution, but as part of their core service. They're obviously taking steps to secure that. So from a security perspective, it's really things kind of go off the rails when you start talking to security people because everything they're used to and comfortable with is gone. So now you start to talk about, well, you need to map out your data flows between these services and you need to be, um, ha- you know, determine how much you trust each of these service providers. And you need to be uh, well aware of what controls the service providers have so that, you know, you're not sitting there and going like, well, I wish all this was encrypted. When you realize, you know, if you check one box, it would be encrypted. So it's it's a change in how you apply security. I think the principles are still the same, um, but I think the actual implementation of it is is very different. And that's where a lot of people stumble.
1: It's a it's a great recap. Adam, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, that, that covers uh, a, a lot of it, I'd say, <laughs> and uh, Mark definitely put, spends a lot of time thinking about this. I mean, I'd, I'd just add that, you know, when putting together kind of serviceful serverless applications, again, you are using a bunch of possible third-party services out there, and it is very difficult to know, um, is this whole solution end-to-end secure? So I think... You know, you need to spend some time to figure out what are the ways you can kind of keep an eye on um, your application to make sure that it's secure and running as uh, as well as expected. Um, these are some of the challenges that are still being worked on um, that that need to put need to have more efforts put put into them. But uh, it's something to keep in mind that when you are selecting a service, you know it's important to talk to the vendors to understand like what are their security practices. Um, and figure out where your weak links are, um, and make careful decisions when when choosing those services.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a monitoring perspective, um, I know Adam, you guys are heavily focused on this this type of workload. Um, what do you, where do you see the industry today, right now, with serverless and monitoring?
1: It's pretty early days. Um, it's there are a lot of challenges in monitoring serverless, obviously because you know you don't own that infrastructure, as Mark said. Um, so it can be very difficult to to actually monitor it. Um, for example, Lambda. Well, Lambda, Amazon has CloudWatch, um, and it provides uh, very good basics of monitoring. Uh, but it's important that when you're actually running your Lambdas, um, you're setting up the right um, you know the right CloudWatch settings to figure out what are the things that you're watching for. Um, make sure that you're instrumenting everything properly and I think that people need to end up leveling up their analytic skills, especially developers need to level up their analytic skills in order to keep a closer eye on how their actual application is performing. And the way we view it is, it's kind of a morphing of infrastructure monitoring and application performance monitoring together in a serverless world. Um, So we ourselves have focused on keeping a close eye on the Lambda portion of it, uh, and using that as kind of the the core, you know, Lambda ends up being the glue code that um, connects a bunch of these services together. You can instrument that at the code level, which is what we do. Um, so we use that as a kind of a foundation for looking outwards to the other services to keep an eye on, um, you know, are, are my calls to my database working uh, as they should? Uh, is there any sort of performance degradation that's happening? And being able to react to that very quickly. And figure out where, you know, which functions are behaving poorly. For example, in you know, in a stack where you may have tens or even hundreds of functions talking together, um, being able to pinpoint the function or the functions that are um, causing potential issues, as well as going within the function to figure out, okay, which line of code in my uh, function is is causing the the issue. Is it? you like know, you can quickly pinpoint which function but then within the function if you have you know complexities within a function yeah um you need to figure out which calls to you know third party services may be causing that or is it maybe your own logic that's causing it uh, maybe you introduce some some degradation in a in a commit so trying to figure these out is very challenging and that's the the types of things that we're working on solving um but i think that it's very important Um, For anyone who's running serious serverless applications to really think about it from an end end to end uh, point of view and instrument as well as you can.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, that's a really good segue um, into, you know, what do you guys personally feel are some best practices in regards to monitoring that customers should adopt when they're when they're thinking about moving to serverless?
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll jump in because one of the things that Adam was talking about really kind of raised a flag, and I'd love to hear his his opinion on this. Is that one of the holes that I find when people are taking this sort of trying to figure out where they need to monitor and what they need to look at is very much that um, between service uh, communication, right? So they're looking at the basics of of uh, performance around their uh, functions, um, and that's fine. That's sort of you know monitoring 101. But I think the real interest there, from a security perspective, but also a per, uh, performance perspective, is okay, if I'm going out to a third-party service to do authentication or to get, you know, um, some sort of uh, image recognition or natural language processing, something like that, um, are you monitoring the data as it goes out and then as it comes back in? And also, are you monitoring that performance? And I'm really, I know people are, I'm getting some of those questions, but I don't think I'm getting enough of them to make me feel comfortable, and I think that I don't know if anyone <laughs> has a solution, but people should be asking the question more than they are. And I'm wondering if you're hearing that too, Adam, or um, you know, is that the next stage where people will get comfortable with it and they'll start asking that real question?
1: I mean, we we're definitely uh, we definitely have some bias. I mean, we're we're talking to users who are maybe a little bit further along in their serverless applications, so they they're starting to go down this road of of looking at um, instrumenting you know, those third party calls, for example. And there are there are ways to do it. Um, you could use custom metrics um, with CloudWatch. We also offer a custom metric style thing and we're we're building more tracing functionality in. Um, but you know, in general I'd say that most people are still at the the 101 stage. A lot of a lot of uh, serverless users I talk to, even in with production workloads, um, aren't actually monitoring their their Lambda functions properly. Um, so I think that it's still early days and there needs to be more education on um, you know, starting at step one. Here are the things you need to monitor. You need to monitor your um, basic um, metrics, right? You need to look at the duration and you need to track that over time. You need to look at the number of errors and track that over time um, and look for any changes that are happening. Um, you should at least look at the at, at tuning your functions to make sure, for example, that you're choosing the right memory CPU tier. there are twenty three of them to choose from, and a lot of people you know don't know which one to choose. so they just go with the smallest one until they hit out of memory errors. Um it's not very efficient because you know you may be um, slowing down your application because if you bump it up a couple of tiers, it may run a lot faster. It may actually be cheaper to run. Um, mm-hmm. if you're running at scale that may be important to you. So these types of things are, are the 101s that I think people are still going through, but some of the more advanced um, users out there are definitely now looking at how do they go a step further and start tracking these other um, aspects, which I think are even more critical. Yeah, that's that's not cool. super. That's not super reassuring
2: for me, but at least it's no. getting there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: Mark, do you have any uh, feedback for the one on one users? Any guidance? Yeah, I mean,
2: you know, monitor, some monitoring is better than none, um and I think that's sort of my beyond not taking that reasonable step of, you know, watching the interaction between services. Um I think a lot of teams that are experimenting with it sort of expect that they don't have any operational requirements here when it goes live they're like oh it just goes live you know i'll handle an error if it pops up i think mm-hmm. understanding that this is just like any other application um and in fact you know it may be more sensitive to some things like latency and and um, communication uh links between services um i think that's the biggest thing is realizing that there is a need to do some monitoring here um, and you need to have a, a strong strategy in place and you know fortunately there are great tools like the ones available from the cloud providers, uh, like IOPipe uh, from Adam and the team. Um, you know, And it, it's possible to do this. It takes a little more uh, sort of roll up your sleeves and, and get it done um, than you might be used to. Uh, but it's definitely worth it. And it's I think it also gives you that chance to, to reduce your over, uh, operational overhead in that you're monitoring something that's of much more direct value um, to your business um, and that's why I really think the inter-service stuff is important because you can tie that to actual business metrics um, and that's where people kind of get lost when you stand up an instance and you go, okay, now I need to monitor the OS and now I need to monitor the web server and then I need to monitor the app on top of it. You start to drown very quickly in a lot of meaningless metrics. Um, and I think the advantage, you know, just like the rest of the serverless um, ecosystem is you kind of shed all that BS yeah. um, and get to focus on what actually matters. But you still need to apply some effort and get it
0: done. So what you're you're kind of touching on is something that Adam mentioned, which is, you know, it's it's for all intents and purposes is a it's a shift in the way that we think about metrics. Right. Which is now a combination of. Operational and application performance, which at the end of the day really translates to business metrics, right? How does this impact the business? Does the latency of this individual service that I'm running in serverless um, cause my, you know, business value to diminish because it's slower?
2: Absolutely, and so you know Adam's point there of vote, you know, looking for the right memory tier, um, you know, is trying is is a very good one because if you bump up to a different memory tier and you get slotted into different CPU allocation behind the scenes, um, not that we're all that clear on the magic that goes behind, uh, (laughs) behind the curtain. Um, But, you know, rumor has it that may be the case. Um, But, you know, that's a very good one in that, you know, you may be technically paying a little bit more or potentially paying more. But when you're looking at the business metric, all of a sudden your user wait time to complete a transaction, you know, drops from two or three seconds down to sub second, and you're pushing way more business transactions through. That's a huge win for you. But if you're not looking at it, you're never going to know that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Any any last thoughts on monitoring before we uh, jump into security, or any final final statements or uh, goodbyes to monitoring? <laughs> on it, monitor your things, <laughs> please. <laughs> monitor all the things.
1: At least at least start with the basics, right? Um, don't just put it out there. It's ver- the the great thing about Lambda and serverless is that it's very easy to get started and get something out there and push push pieces of it into production very quickly. Um, But it's also very easy to forget about monitoring it until you actually run into a problem. Um, So it doesn't take long to actually, you know, put in some basic monitoring. And, you know, that will at least give you a little bit of a safety net um, and some visibility to know if things are working as expected. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say for me, the number one thing is, you know, at
2: the very least, catch your errors. Oh, that's a good and one and yes monitor for your error conditions and be able to react to them because i've seen that where people set stuff up and they go yeah you know it's working okay and then you dive in you're like you realize you're throwing an error like every other uh invocation and they're like no i, didn't, <laughs> no, I no i didn't know and they're like well yeah. you, you might have wanted to realize that um so that's where it, you know if anything just at least get that um and then start tackling the rest of it as soon as you can
0: yeah i think that's that's you know, super positive, great feedback for, uh, you know, consumers of serverless today is really pay attention to your applications, right? Yeah. Realize you you have put something out into the cloud
2: and it doesn't just go on its own. You know, we're not, we're not there yet. You've made a fully, you know, autonomous, independent, sentient serverless thing. It still needs care and feeding.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cool. I think this is a good segue into our final topic, um, which is very similar to our last topic, um, which is really security. Um, What should people who are looking to dive into serverless or maybe customers who are already using it slightly, what are things they should pay attention to uh, or focus on in regards to security? And I have some opinions on this, and I'm sure Mark has a lot, uh, and I'm sure Adam has some as well. So, uh, Mark, why don't you start? Sure.
2: Um, So, yeah, there's a
0: lot of stuff there. Obviously, with
2: security, there's always a ton of stuff. But, you know, I like to keep it simple and basic. Um, At the very least, what you should be doing is getting your team in a room with a whiteboard or, you know, pencil and paper and mapping out what data is going where. So if you're handling um, personally identifiable info, um, figure out what services you're pushing that into, and then make sure that the services you're leveraging um, have the security controls and meet the assurance levels that you want um, and that that's available for you. So if you're thinking of something like your user profiles, if you're leveraging a service for that, whether it's something like Cognito or Auth0 or something else, make sure that the security meets your expectations and that you're enabling all the functionality that um, will put in the controls um, that you feel comfortable with to your risk uh, level. Um, And that's the biggest thing. It's just mapping that out and saying, okay, you know, if I've got your credit card info, I want to make damn sure that, you know, whatever service is touching that is fully PCI compliant and the links and the communication between all of those pieces are fully encrypted. Yeah. It's really simple, but it's a great place to start.
0: Yeah, I would would extend on that. And, uh, you know, really reiterate to uh customers and and potential new users is um least permissive right Uh, Mm -hmm. make sure when you're granting permissions to your lambda functions or other serverless applications uh when they're making outbound calls to other services make sure the permissions you're granting to your lambda functions are least permissive right don't give your lambda function administrative access to your entire aws account yeah which, yeah. which a lot the, of people uh, a lot of people do 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 that
2: well uh, and, and that that's a really good point it brings up something really interesting at the um, chaos computer club um, conference in um, Germany just after Christmas somebody had given a talk around attacking serverless um, applications yep and uh, you know, everyone in my community basically forwarded to me, oh my God, have you seen this? It's amazing. And I went through it and I'm like, there is nothing unique about serverless here. All this is, is a uh, misconfigured permission level. And it's the same attack you could pull off on an EC2 instance or anything else where you could potentially run code. Um, and it was essentially, you could fix everything in that talk. And I'm not, this is not to put down the speaker. It was a really interesting thing. They spun it well. They put a good narrative together, but you know, one line of IAM policy and the whole thing would have been null.
0: yeah. Yep. And it's it's one thing that I try to, you know, reiterate to consumers as often as possible, really, is that least permissive model. Um, and, you know, the, the nice part is you can actually go look at Access Advisor uh, and take a look at what, uh, you know, services have used those roles recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easy to
2: track well, those down. And I've got an even easy, simpler tip for you. If you're looking at your IAM policy and you see an asterisk, <laughs> you should really question why it's there. <laughs> and they're they're valid it's there's there's a lot of times of like you know s3 bucket and you've got a star there so you get access to all the buckets there's valid times to use them but yeah. it should at least give you pause to go wait a second i don't need you know describe everything or
0: stop everything like terminate instance you, on all yeah, regions and all accounts.
2: exactly if you see an if you see an asterisk or a star in your IAM policy you should at least do a double take and make sure that it should be there
0: yeah adam what are your thoughts and feelings
1: I'd say aside from, you know, you guys covered, I think, the a great bulk of it. Um, the other thing that should be mentioned is pay attention to your own application. Um, you're probably using a lot of third-party libraries and dependencies. And that can also be um, an area um, that can be very vulnerable. So, you know, the, there are actually some good third-party services out there that just do this. So there's one called SNCC, which you, you can basically add to your, your application and it will track your dependencies over time and it looks for vulnerabilities in your dependencies. If it finds one, it alerts you and even submits a pull request in GitHub um, to fix that for you. Um, So I think services like these are starting to emerge where people are, you know, services and people are just focusing on one area of security. And I think that it's worth looking into these. And even if not, I would just occasionally do, you know, audits of your own uh, dependencies that you're using to make sure that you're not using an outdated dependency that has vulnerabilities. Yeah, do we need?
2: Do we need to say left pad from Node.js? Yeah, like the uh, you guys know that story with the everybody was pulling it from the yeah. from the main <laughs> npm instead. Of, yeah, like perfect example of what you just said, Adam. Right? It's dependencies are a nightmare um, when you don't pay attention to them.
0: So I I think I'm hearing a a trending topic this morning, which is pay attention to your applications. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Well, this has been a great talk. Um, Do you guys have any other uh, final takeaways for everybody? Uh, If not, I think uh, we'll say goodbye. No, I think we
2: covered everything. You know, serverless is amazing. It lets you pull off some fantastic stuff, but that doesn't mean that you don't have daily you know or hourly or real-time responsibilities around security and monitoring but even there it's not as onerous as other areas so there's no reason not to dive in and try to tackle them because you can really boost your productivity and make some pretty amazing solutions that are extremely low cost as a bonus
0: absolutely
1: yeah I'd also add that you know there's a great community building around the serverless space um there's a bunch of meetups all over the place there's um great a w s uh, events that are happening all the time um and serverless conference as well is coming up in austin um with with various slack groups around as well so if you're if you have questions about serverless you know you can definitely reach out to the community it's all over the place and there' are some great um pioneer users out there who have spent you know uh, more than a year working with serverless in production, and they have a lot of great lessons to
0: uh, to teach. Absolutely. Yeah, that's super great feedback. And yeah, it's a good plug. Uh, serverless Conf is coming up. So it's a good uh, place to go and get some new information about where serverless is going and where it's been. Well, Mark, Adam, uh, thanks for your time this morning. I know this is a very early podcast. For those that don't know, it's uh, 7 a.m. here on the West Coast. Um, Mark's a little. Uh, has a little advantage to us. He's not on the West coast, but,
2: uh, and I, and I appreciate you guys getting up early for this. It has been a great chat.
0: Yeah. Thanks again, Adam. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks a lot. Well, that was really interesting. Some good insights there. So I hope you enjoyed that special episode and there'll be more to come. As ever, we do love to get your feedback at AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.